solo and group clinicians alike are buzzing about Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals. With live customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and an extensive feature library, Therapy Notes is sure to streamline your workflow, giving you time to care more and worry less. Try them for two months free using promo code MODERN today. Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast that talks about all things therapists and things that we do, the things that we don't do, the things that we're now allowed to do, especially as it comes to the updates to the Camped Code of Ethics. This change happened in December of 2019. A couple of disclaimers up here up front is Katie and I do sit on the Camp Board of Directors. We're not speaking for them. This is us sharing some information that is all publicly available in one form or another, we might just offer a little bit more of a backstory based on some of the conversations that are theoretically, historically publicly available that nobody publicly came to. So (laughs) we're not... We're not speaking to you from Camped. We're speaking about Camped as a peer, as a podcast host, but definitely not for them. We are going to hit a few of the really interesting Camped Code of Ethics changes and how that plays out in our practice, some of the discussions that we're hearing. If you do want to hear about the entirety of the changes, I do have a course coming out on Simple Practice Learning. They're one of our sponsors for the Therapy Reimagined 2020 conference. That should be coming out any day now. We'll include a link over to the Simple Practice Learning form in our show notes. Please be aware that this course does put a put a couple dollars in my pocket if you want to get some of your law and ethics from that course. But if you want to know about all those changes, that is going to be available over there. But <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> that's a that's a lot. Let's get those dis- those disclaimers are done. But there's some so many disclaimers. <laughs> That doesn't just tell you how ethical and legal we cross our T's, dot our I's, and even the lowercase J's. So, <laughs> so there is a couple of these changes that I'm seeing some buzz around some of the online discussions in what people's response are and being able to talk about why these changes are made. And probably most notably comes the new ethics code in Camp 13.6, the solicitation of testimonials from clients. And this is one that I've been advocating in some areas before. I think that we had one of our very early episodes on responding to negative online views that 
we kind of talked about some ways of, of handling those that I think that episode got quickly outdated right away as Yelp and some other companies kind of got a little bit stronger in their policies. Yes. But this new code, I'll read it in its entirety. Marriage and family therapists do not solicit testimonials from clients or patients who, due to their particular circumstances, are vulnerable to undue influence. Now, this is the first professional organization in the therapy world that I understand is making the step to say, huh, there might be some clients that could probably provide a good testimonial. It almost seems like, though, that it could be based on the inflection. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. I don't have the the code in front of me, but we don't solicit testimonials from clients who could be under undue influence. The the question becomes, what is undue influence? But is the code saying that all clients would be under, potentially have undue influence, or we only do not solicit testimonials? from clients who might be subject to undue influence. So we do not solicit testimonials from clients who, due to their circumstances, are vulnerable to undue influence. This is one of those things where it's not saying go solicit testimonials from clients who you don't have undue influence over, but it is opening up that possibility. It's still saying don't solicit from the ones who are particularly under undue influence. All right. All right. When I was reading it, I was reading it as it's still pretty, pretty specific that we need to be very, very cautious. Now, I have seen some people have this reaction to this change that says, well, aren't all clients forever under undue influence to us? I think not. (laughs) Why not? Well, I think that people are human and we're all human beings and we all have our own agency and autonomy. And there are some folks who potentially have things that might impact their level of influence by a therapist. It could be their age. It could be their mental health concern or whatever. But I think about myself and I, my, my therapist hasn't asked me for a testimonial, but I don't feel like if she did that, it would feel weird. I mean, I guess it would be weird because our our profession hasn't done it, but I don't think that there's an undue influence there. And so I think a lot of clients actually have more agency and autonomy and ability to make their own decisions than maybe we've given them credit for. And I will say, we're not getting into all of the changes to the code in this episode, but overall, I think that many of the changes to the code reflect that very point, that a lot more clients and patients or whatever your terminology is around it have that agency over themselves and have a lot more opportunity for decision making than previous codes had reflected. I think that's awesome because I think the acknowledging that our clients are able to make their own decisions, I think greatly improves our profession because then there's less stigma, there's less infantilizing of our clients. It's actually something where we can come into it and I think talk about it more freely. This question around undue influence is one that the code does not really in and of itself define what undue influence is. And in being able to evaluate this, one of the plays that happens between laws and ethics is 
if the ethics code doesn't define it, is there a legal definition for undue influence? And at least here in California, we have California Welfare and Institution Code 15610.70. So if you're driving, just know that I'm referencing something that actually exists. But this gets into several different points of what undue influence is. And Katie hit on some of these, but broadly, Undue influence means excessive persuasion that causes another person to act or refrain from acting by overcoming that person's free will and results in inequity. And they go on to further define that the things that can be evaluated is the vulnerability of the victim that might be due to incapacity, illness, disability, age, education, impaired cognitive function, emotional distress, et cetera, et cetera. Number two, the influencer's apparent authority, and where this pertains to us is specifically listed, is healthcare professionals. Number three, the actions or tactics used by the influencer, and this gets defined into controlling the necessaries of life, medication, interactions with others, access to information or sleep, the use of affection, intimidation, or coercion or initiation of changes in personal or property rights, use of haste or secrecy, and affecting those changes at inappropriate times and places. And number four, as far as undue influence, is the equity of the results. That evidence of equity of the results may include, but is not limited to, economic consequences to the victim, any divergence from the victim's prior intent or course of conduct, or the relationship of the value conveyed to the value of any services or considerations received. So, long definition. I'm sure you have several thoughts and points that have come up. Yeah, I don't know that I've retained all of that because that's so long, but let me start with the first one is, remind me what the first one is briefly. The first one is the vulnerability of the victim. Okay, so we already talked about that one. I think when the when we have clients who are very vulnerable, I think it makes sense, both from a legal and ethical standpoint, as well as a clinical standpoint, we don't want to be hounding them for testimonials when they are not really able to consent well for themselves. Correct? Correct. Okay. I mean, it's oversimplified, but I think that one's the easiest one. So the second one was about how it's done, right? The, the se- power differential? The, the second one is who has that power differential. And Got so it. we are outlined in number two. As having a power differential. Yes. But it's also having a power differential and how you use it, right? Co- correct. So this gets us into number three, which is the actions or tactics used. So this is where even within the law, it seems that there is a description of a power differential can exist, but if the tactics used are not in a coercive way, then that doesn't necessarily mean undue influence has occurred. Okay. And so, so, so it's being able to hold both of these together, that you can have a power differential and be a jerk, or you can have a power <laughs> differential and not be a jerk, and one is definitely not okay. The other one, we continue to evaluate. So a couple of pieces on this. So the first, the easier one is the tactics, right? So I think the biggest piece around the tactics, if we're acting clinically appropriately and not, I mean, there's part of this that creates a dual relationship. There's also part of this stuff that could could create 
some of these dynamics that are really unhealthy within the, the therapeutic relationship. But if we're using tactics where it feels very coercive or manipulative, or then I think a couple of the later ones are about like you get financial benefit to it or financial detriment or some sort of retribution if you don't do it. Like all of those things feel like to me, that's a no brainer. And, and if you want to talk about them, we can, but I, to me, that seems like just don't be a jerk. <laughs> don't be a jerk. Don't be a manipulative jerk. Don't try to make a testimonial be about some sort of benefit or some sort of consequence if it's not done, right? Like that seems pretty straightforward. I think the takeaway from the entirety of everything that we do is don't be a jerk. Yeah, just don't be a jerk. So the one that I think requires a little more discussion is this power differential. Okay. Because it says a power differential can exist and it's okay and you could still ask for a testimonial. And, and I think that happens all the time. I mean, consultants do it. I mean, like there's, there's a lot of, like I ask for testimonials as a consultant and I try to not do it like a jerk. And so I only, you know, I ask for testimonials from people who think I've done good work. And then if they say, oh, I don't feel comfortable, I don't go like, but please, please really do it. I don't like repeatedly and houndedly continue to ask over and over again for a testimonial. And that's one of the the tactic definitions that I think gets put in there is the constant repeating of, will you do this? Will you do this? Will you do this? Starts to move that more into a coercive tactic. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't give extra sessions. I don't give anything for it. I mean, mostly because I feel like it's, it, it, it makes it less, I don't even know what the right word is less reliable, less authentic. Like I want somebody to willingly give me a testimonial or for us, like for the podcast, willingly going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast and giving us a review and a rating without there being some benefit for it. Because I feel like that or, or benefit for only positive reviews, right? But this idea of power differential, I think just doesn't sit quite right for me. <laughs> so, and I will jump in here. It's the influencer's apparent authority. Okay. So this describes where a power differential can occur. And healthcare mm-hmm. professionals do have an apparent authority, which is, to me, it's a description that gets evaluated in there. And I think where you and I are both fans of the overall changes of the code being more towards client's autonomy and client input takes some of that authority and puts it a little bit more on a level playing field as clients as experts on themselves, not this, you know, therapist on the mountain who has control over everything in kind of this cult-like leader sort of way. So part of this is the overall description and opportunity that your working relationship can be expressed through. This is also taking a legal definition and applying it to an ethical code, but I'm guessing most of the time, those two things are going to be held pretty closely together. Yeah. So I guess if you're saying that there's, that we are authorities, that we are experts, we're authorities, and there could be a power differential. I think the thing that I was balking against is saying that there is de facto a power differential. Because I think that there are clients and treatment orientations and that kind of stuff where they're just not going to, the power differential is not going to be there in that way at all. And this is why we take under consideration all four of these points. Okay. That it's client function, the apparent authority, the tactics used, and the result that occurs. So this is an acknowledgement that, yes, there is 
an air of authority there, but it's within the context of those other three points too that really starts to parse out what makes it okay versus what makes it not okay. Therapy Notes not only combines billing, scheduling, and notes into one easy-to-use software, they now also offer group telehealth, up to 15 clients in a group session at a time, and secure messaging features. And with their 24-7 customer service, they're ready to assist you no matter where your practice takes you. Therapy Notes allows you to do it all. Whether you're a solo clinician or part of a group practice, you'll have all the tools for success at your fingertips with Therapy Notes. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. So the ethics code, so going back to the ethics code, says that we don't solicit testimonials from people who we have that could be susceptible to this undue influence, right? Or whatever Correct. the exact language is. But like for the folks where we don't kind of pass this four-person test, I know that this is now something that <laughs> maybe we're, we're overstating the legal, the law and the ethic going hand in hand. But but if we want to use that as an example, if if the person is not, you know, kind of vulnerable, if the authority is there, but there's not this huge power differential, if we're not using ridiculous tactics and we're not having these horrible consequences. Theoretically, we could solicit testimonials, but should we? That's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think that this is one that we can solidly say yes. But given the nature of where our profession is, it's not saying that it's bad. I agree. And especially the tactics used. For example, Katie brought up a little bit earlier of number of ways of not doing it correctly, you know, constantly yeah. hounding people, giving them free things, giving them a discount, giving them access to more services. Mm-hmm. Those those are all not good tactics and would be frowned upon as not good tactics. Good tactics would be, hey, if you're happy with my services, maybe leave a little review on Yelp. Like a sign in the office or something. Right. That, And especially if you're talking with somebody who's a former client. And I know that there's plenty of people in these discussions that I've been seeing who are saying, you know, once a client, always a client. What if they come back? What if they didn't give you a great review? Blah, blah, blah. Well, chances are they're either not happy with your services or (laughs) that there is a potential for undue influence that can occur there. But the overall just kind of here's an opportunity for everybody makes it into that more okay sort of tactic you know that sign in the waiting room sort of thing if you're happy with my services i encourage you to leave a review that helps to combat some of the problems that therapists are facing here in the 21st century which is we have this confidential sort of relationship that we can't combat negative reviews on health grades or whatever that we never asked for in the first place that only our really upset clients are ever going to seek out and find out and Mm -hmm. mash on their keyboards about. (laughs) Well, there's also the, and I think we talked to Ben about this in one of our, in our first episode with him. We talked about how it kind of promotes stigma 
and doesn't allow for informed consumers if we don't have the possibility for testimonials. So putting this up on a wall, you know, in your office that's, you know, in your waiting room, that seems appropriate. Are there any other appropriate ways to solicit testimonials from people? So this is where if we do go back to this California Welfare and Institution Code law, the coercive definitions or the tactics that would be considered is if you're controlling access to the necessities of life for a client. Now, hopefully as a therapist, in most situations, about the only necessity of life that you're potentially even having access to, unless you're physically choking a client, then you're not giving them (laughs) access to air. That would be coercive. Don't do that. Don't choke your clients. That's that's excellent advice. Don't choke your clients. But withholding withholding treatment for not doing this, that, that falls into the necessities of life sort of thing. Use of affection, intimidation, or coercion. You know, You'll be my favorite client if you just leave me a five-star review. (laughs) I can totally hear you saying that to your clients. (laughs) I don't think you would, but I just could picture it, you know? (laughs) Or you will be my least favorite client unless you do this. Oh, goodness. That's bad. Okay. And the use of secrecy about this or doing it at inappropriate times, places, or claims of expertise and interpreting this is the more private that you do this, the more that this can potentially look coercive. And so one of the opportunities that may arise is if you're wrapping up treatment with a, a client, even potentially a child client, you're talking with the parents and they're saying, this was so great, you know, what can we do? Now, traditionally, we've had some sort of response around, if you're really happy with this, the best thing that you can do is tell your friends. What we're now kind of saying is, if you're really happy about this, your online friends count too. <laughs> <laughs> so tell your friends. Do a Yelp review, write a, a whole Facebook story. <laughs> so if you're open about, hey, I want you to write about your experience or not even I want you to, but if you're comfortable doing it, giving that power over to the client mm-hmm. of making this a standard practice of anybody who wraps up services, this is an opportunity the more that you publicly make that available. You can put a thing on your website of if you're enjoying my services and want to share your experiences, it is encouraged that you leave a review for me if you're comfortable. You know, anything that makes it to where it's an opportunity for anybody to do that is publicly stated. Got it. That, that falls more on the okay side. Okay. So on your website, part of practice on closing out sessions on that wall in your office. Mm-hmm. And I would go one step further and say, by doing so, you are potentially outing yourself as a client and breaking your mm-hmm. confidentiality. I would not encourage you to respond even to the positive reviews, you know, keeping that confidentiality side on your end. 
So not to beat the dead horse on this, but some of you may be asking, why was this change even made in the first place? (laughs) Why was it, Kurt? Why was this change made in the first place? Excellent question, Katie. (laughs) And this has to come down to music teachers. Okay. So in 2014, and I'll include a link to this in our show notes at mtsgpodcast.com. 2014 is when the article published. This is a 2013 decision by the Federal Trade Commission around the Music Teachers National Association. And there was also another disagreement that the FTC ruled on about the California Association of Legal Support Professionals. In both of these decisions, the FTC ruled that the complaints were a violation of the FTC Act through codes of ethics that were too restrictive for members being able to compete with each other that would provide a better consumer atmosphere for consumers. And so this gets into antitrust laws. And we have an episode before on antitrust that if you're really wanting to hear all of the ins and outs of antitrust, you can go back and listen to that one. But And my favorite part of that is the cardigan cartel. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But if the FTC is to protect consumers, that having overly restrictive anti-compete clauses and ethics codes makes it to where it's not providing the opportunity for consumers. Therapists that provide similar services are in competition with each other, but to artificially restrict them from competing brings them to the cardigan cartel. (laughs) (laughs) So how does the testimonials keep not allowing testimonials, keep them from competing by moving in this direction? The, this allows for camped and other associations who are likely going to follow through on similar ethics code changes to eliminate provisions that restrain competition amongst members that this is an acknowledgement that in the 21st century as word of mouth and especially in the online world of reviews that not allowing for advertising to include happy customers as well Mm -hmm. artificially restrains the competition between therapists oh interesting that's cool (laughs) which brings us to another change in the ethics code Tell me what it is, Kurt. I'm on tincture hooks over here. Gee willikers, Katie. <laughs> Gee willikers. A similar change in a different part of the code is in the new Code of Ethics 8.4, soliciting other clients and patients. And this says marriage and family therapy. clinicians, patients, right? Soliciting other clinicians, clients, or patients. Marriage and family therapists do not solicit or encourage clients or patients to leave other therapists where the client or patient, because of their circumstances, may be vulnerable due to undue influence. Mm. Now, previously, the ethics codes just kind of said outright, don't do this. Don't market to the competition. Don't market. Directly. Yes. Don't steal other people's clients. Now. This addition of the undue influence, and we just spent a very long time describing what an undue influence can be, but this also comes from that National Music Teachers Association decision by the FTC that this artificially restrains trade by mm-hmm. the professional organization. And 
by being able to provide consumers with opportunities to have their choice in providers of a service. Camped is acknowledging that if this holds true for music students, then this probably holds true for healthcare consumers as well, mental health care consumers. Now, don't be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but the acknowledgement that this is a restraint on competition brings us right back into those antitrust sort of discussions and overly restrictive organizations, professional organizations like Camp APA, ACA, any of the, the alphabet soups of mental health member organizations, any over restrictions that they do opens them up to antitrust lawsuits. And when you're big organizations like these, people with lawsuits are going to have big lawsuits that they're going to try and do. So this is still where you're still expected to be professional and still responsible to your colleagues and your community and acknowledging that some clients may have an undue influence with you based on your position. That'll still be taken into consideration by ethics committees, but it also allows for clients who may not be happy with their service provider more of an opportunity to change service providers without the necessity or the possibility of an ethics complaint being filed against the client stealer in these situations. <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> <laughs> so this is not camp saying it's okay to steal other people's clients. It's saying that don't be overly restrictive. Don't be a jerk about it. But Consumers have a choice of mental health service providers, and they can choose to go to another service provider, and you don't have the, the backlash opportunity of filing an ethics complaint against somebody if it's done in an ethical way. Did anyone actually file this ethical complaint? Do you have any sense of that? That, like, hey, Kurt stole my client? <laughs> so... Ethics committees don't release that kind of information typically as far as yeah. which, which complaints there are. And especially with our role on the board of directors, I'm hesitant to wade into those discussions with our ethics committee because they do operate very independently of each other. Yeah, yeah of course. So check with me here in a few months when my board service is done and maybe I'll have some <laughs> <new> information. But... <laughs> but where where this comes up is there's probably a reason for this code in the ethics in the first place as far as keeping the respect of the profession and not having the pariahs of, well, I'm the best therapist and you need to come see me. One other code change that fits in with this is CAMP code 5.12 with the duplication of therapy, which had previously stated to the effect of you know, we don't provide duplicative services to clients that now says that, you know, sometimes clients need to go to a couple of different providers for different needs. Yeah. That, you know, couples therapy clients also needs to get individual therapy or somebody in individual therapy might need a specialized treatment like EMDR or something that's adjunctive to their therapy that opens this up, but it also opens up therapists to be in more discussions around, are you getting your needs met by your other therapist? Yep. that can leave you in the situation where that client may have 
that vulnerability that falls into undue influence. And this is where some of these codes can't be looked at just in isolation, but need to be looked at within the broader definition of, of the entirety of the codes. And what I'm really happy about, and maybe one of the most important additions to this code, doesn't even have a code number. It comes in the preamble, which is about ethical decision-making being a mm. necessity of what marriage and family therapists who are members of camp need to be engaged in. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I love this notion that there is an element of it that's just make ethical decisions. Think about it put it in context, make ethical decisions. And what you're talking about with don't solicit other people's clients or don't do a duplication of services and having those things actually shifted and made more modern, which I like, just makes a lot of sense to me. And I think I might've been out of compliance with the old codes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that I was stealing everybody's clients or that I was duplicating services, but I was consistently doing group therapy for other people's individual therapy clients. And I would oftentimes have to explore with them when they would come to me and talk about what was happening in individual therapy, how they would get their needs met with their individual therapist and or whether or not they were going to be able to get their needs met with the individual therapist. And to me, I really was trying to walk a line of supporting the other therapist's work, continuing to send that client back so they could resolve those issues, unless there was something super unethical. And I didn't really see that. I saw more people just getting inconsistent or incompetent work, <laughs> but not like really shady stuff, right? Heard about shady stuff. We've all heard about shady stuff. But but I think that the piece that I feel like is a little bit more freeing is that there can be a safer conversation around like, hey, are you really getting what you need from this other person without it feeling like I'm going to be attacked for challenging this stuff? And I think this only can improve our profession. It, it's informing clients. It's informing the process. And, and if we have informed consumers, then we're going to have better therapy. So to me, I, I don't really think I was out of compliance with the old ethics code, but I, I felt like I had to walk a really, really hard line because I'd have people come to me that were my group clients and say, my individual therapist is doing this. Is this okay? And any answer when it's not like, sure, that's normal. And this is how you talk to your therapist about it. Like anything separate from that could have been seen as me trying to solicit these clients. And 
I even had people come to me and say, I'd like to refer a client to you for group, but are you going to take my client? And I was like, no, I don't try to. But then I started really looking and I was like, oh crap. Like I have had group clients become my individual therapy clients because they were more satisfied with the work that I was doing than the other person. I've had the reverse. I've had people go to other therapists and I'm, you know, you want to get right match and you want to make sure people are competent in what they're doing. But I think it's, it's such a relief to actually kind of go to the place also that therapists are humans with autonomy and agency and can make these decisions and the codes don't have to be so restrictive. And it goes to how do we make sure that people are getting the best services they need? And part of it's just don't be a jerk and have the conversations you need to have. I will bring up an example of this that happened to me in my practice a couple of years ago. I was on vacation and had a client who was going through a particularly difficult time. And while I was gone, they chose not to reach out to the therapist who was covering my practice at the time. Instead, they reached out to somebody else entirely that I'm aware of in the larger therapist community. But when I returned back from vacation and reached out to the family to confirm our next appointment, they said, no, we are continuing on with this new therapist. The new therapist has advised us to not return to you based Mm -hmm. on the situation that the client was in during my vacation. And this is one of those opportunities that I look at with this new ethics code of that particular client was subject to undue influence. Mm. But they were very vulnerable due to their cognitive and emotional state at the time. And there is a possibility of that having been a clinical decision that was not including me as the primary therapist at the time that was put entirely on a client and their family in a time where they may not have been able to make those informed choices. And so I'm not going to say that that might have even been the best clinical decision, but that it was put entirely on the client in those situations does seemingly make that a huge acknowledgement of where that power rests, the tactics that were used, the timing of it, and kind of the restriction of not even allowing the client to come back to me for a termination session. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. So being able to evaluate all of this within that broader context does mean that there is opportunities for pitfalls here. Yeah. That it is outlined within these codes that we are to address this with the people violating these codes in the first place before we file ethics complaints because we are there to help self-regulate our profession as well. But that this looks at the entirety of the codes together and not just each one of these singular things that allows us to just sit there and scream at each other. That's an ethical. (laughs) We have a whole episode on that. I think the thing that as someone that's not a law and ethics junkie like you are, you were you know, a subject matter expert for the BBS and that kind of stuff. But as someone who has not been as in depth in the past with ethics codes, being on the board for camped required that I read the ethics code, the new ethics code, at least 
once all the way through and really look at it with a critical eye. And for me, that was not as hard as I thought it would be because <laughs> you think about it and it's can be pretty boring for those of us who aren't interested in these things in the same way that you are. But being able to actually look at the whole thing and and really absorb all of it and really think about it critically, I think is important. And so so we'll link to the ethics code and the new ethics code for camp for and for camp members or other folks in California who probably will be impacted by the camp new ethics code. Read it. Maybe when you're trying to fall asleep, I don't know, but definitely read it all the way through because I think it's important to truly understand the ethical codes that are being presented as how you should function because it it isn't these small snippets. And that's, I think, where people go to this, like, that's unethical, is they'll read a snippet out of context and not really be able to, to do the work that's needed to be done to make some of these more gray area decisions. So read the ethics codes, guys. And we'll put links to all that in our show notes at mtsgpodcast.com. And while you're over there, check out the Therapy Reimagined 2020 conference. We, we are... Here at the end of September in the Los Angeles area, I mentioned Simple Practice Learning at the beginning of the episode. They're helping us out with CEs for our attendees. You can check out who all their providers are over at simplepracticelearning.com. And we have Dr. Harry Aponte talking about person of the therapist and really putting to life how this works with all of the teachings that he's done. Dr. Daryl Chow bringing his energy and critical eye to how we can all improve. And I have a special pre-conference workshop about irrational ethics. Our therapist even allowed to be human. It <laughs> looks at ideas beyond this and, you know, the, the new camp code's pretty good, kind of steering some of the course content in a little bit different direction, but there's plenty of other ethics codes out there to be critical of. So until next time, I'm Kurt Winhelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Thanks to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, use promo code MODERN for two free months. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions.